Is it possible that someone who is 100% certain she's transgender might walk down a path towards sexual reassignment surgery only to experience buyer's remorse? I need you to do something today. It, it won't take long. Uh, just open up a browser, go to your favorite search engine, and type in three words. Girls, Beatles, concert. And then click over to the images section and just take a look at what you see. You can probably imagine them without even having to see the actual photographs. Young teenage girls, rapt attention, mouths agate, longing eyes, hands to sweaty temples, arms outstretched in some crazed attempt to create some telepathic connection, giddy excitement, fainting spells, it's all there. Now, how many of you would say in that moment of adolescent teenage hysteria that that teen knew what was best for her? Yet our society, when it comes to the same teen declaring that she is trans, is making it a crime in some places to disagree with that adolescent conclusion. Our society is allowing these young girls to get puberty blockers and testosterone treatments that after a few months permanently alter their bodies. Our society is enshrining in legal precedent that the decisional rights at this stage of maturity belong not to the parents, but to the teen. And I'm looking at this and I'm saying, please, can someone stop the madness? Thank you. Abigail Schreier. Schreier writes with the brilliance of an attorney, the acumen of some seasoned journalist, and all the wisdom and conviction of a mom who has aced Common Sense 101. And that's because she's a woman with a JD from Yale Law School. She's a journalist, and she writes for the Wall Street Journal, and she's a mom who's not afraid to do what moms used to do, which is to tell their kids they don't know what's best. But as I'm reading her book, I'm seeing she's not the only one. You may not know the name Buck Angel, but Buck Angel was one of the first transsexuals to make the medical transition from female to male in LA back in 1991. He started taking testosterone treatments in that year, 1991. He got top surgery. That means he had a double mastectomy. He got um, metatoidoplasty, which is genital surgery. And apparently, he's more or less okay. But even he is saying, Whoa, you have got to slow this train down. In chapter 11, The Way Back, Schreier relates his thoughts. And basically what he says is we've got to realize teenagers are teenagers. You know, by definition, they're still figuring things out. And they need to be treated as teenagers by the adults who really ought to know better. And what he's saying is that many of these girls are not trans. He said, quote, you could totally be gay. And now we're just pushing girls who want to wear boys clothes into being trans. You can't just say, because someone dresses like a boy, you're a boy. You know, chapter 11 is her last chapter and she's driving home her conclusions. And one of them is this, in some transgender circles, those who have crossed over are now having buyer's remorse. Listen to this. Others, like Desmond, 
did not turn back until an accumulated course of testosterone left her doubled over in pain from the uterine atrophy it produced. The only way to alleviate the pain, doctors insisted, was hysterectomy. So a year ago, she underwent the procedure. When she awakened without a uterus, she realized her entire gender journey had been a terrible mistake. Somehow, I decided that it just wasn't worth the risk anymore. Having paid an extortionate price for her new identity, Desmond felt only buyer's remorse. Nearly all of the detransitioners I spoke with are plagued with regret. If they were on testosterone for even a few months, they possess a startlingly masculine voice that will not lift. If they were on tea for longer, they suffer the embarrassment of having unusual intimate geography, an enlarged clitoris that resembles a small penis. They hate their five o'clock shadows and body hair. They live with slashes across their chests and masculine nipples, transverse, oblong, and smaller, or flaps of skin that don't quite resemble nipples. If they retained their ovaries, once off of testosterone, whatever breast tissue they have will swell with fluid when their periods return, often failing to drain properly. For Erin, trans-identification seemed to fuel her gender dysphoria. Presenting as a man may have calmed some of her distress, she said, but it was also emotionally exhausting. I felt I got kind of another dysphoria trying to be male and male-identified, she said. My body doesn't fit into men's clothes. It's always frustrating trying to find pants. I'm just not the right shape. When I wear men's coats or sweatshirts, it just feels like I'm this kid trying to wear my dad's clothes. I'm a curvy person, and it was making me unhappy to just think that maybe if I exercise or maybe if I change my posture, it became a thing I was thinking about all the time. Each of the desisters and detransitioners I talked to reported being 100% certain that they were definitely trans, until, suddenly, they weren't. Nearly all of them blamed the adults in their lives, especially the medical professionals, for encouraging and facilitating their transitions. Two lines hit me hard. The first one is when she said, having paid an extortionate price for her new identity, Desmond felt only buyer's remorse. The second one is each of the desisters and detransitioners I talked to reported being 100% certain they were definitely trans. Until suddenly, they weren't. And my aha moment was this. There is such a thing as transgender buyer's remorse. Now let's think about buyer's remorse because unlike the young teen caught up in euphoric moments watching the Beatles concert, who will wake up the next day to either really good memories or feelings of, I can't believe I acted that way. The trans wakes up with the memory and the ongoing consequences, physical and psychological. Buyer's remorse includes scars, physical and psychological. Some of these young girls wake up and they've got scars across their chest where they've had their breasts removed and that's there for life. They've got the psychological scars as one desister called the thought loop she had to live with 24-7. Buyer's remorse is knowing that once on testosterone for even a few months, 
your voice is always going to be deep. And some of those changes you see can never be undone. Buyer's remorse is realizing you've replaced one gender dysphoria, the kind that 70% of people grow out of, with a new dysphoria. The emotionally exhausting journey of day after day after day trying to pass as a man. The second glances of passer buyers. The sense of trying to put yourself out there, of wearing clothes that just don't fit because they weren't designed for you. And this is sad. I mean, really sad. And it's crazy because H.R. 5, the Equality Act, misnomer if there ever was one, if passed, will ensconce in U.S. law language that will only throw more fuel on the fire for young girls to say, I'm trans, and we have to go along with it. And what I find really interesting is that, and listen to this, Schreier writes, nearly all the desisters and detransitioners blame the adults in their lives, especially the medical professionals, for encouraging and facilitating their transitions. And you know what that means, don't you? It means attorneys are going to have a field day as the long-run damage assessment grows and lawsuits mount. Let me say this, because it's really important. In all this transgender talk, I want to reiterate what I said in my last podcast, The Transgender Catch-22. Some people may think, because I oppose the Equality Act, that I'm opposing transgender people, and that would be incorrect. Well, I don't agree with transgenderism. My disagreement doesn't mean that I'm against people who identify as transgender or gay or lesbian. Not the least bit. Now, I realize that since our truth claims rest on polar opposite foundations, it's going to be really hard to see eye to eye and even have discussions and dialogue. And I can understand why someone might see my disagreement as dislike. To which I can only say that, hey, Jesus dined with the people whom he disagreed. And if he can do it, and I'm his follower, then I can and should be doing the same. But my main point here is that transgender euphoria gives way at times to a whole new dysphoria that can, and sometimes does, leave the transgender individual with a strong sense of buyer's remorse. This is not what I thought it was going to be. I think about the words in Proverbs about the guy who pursues the forbidden woman, and after chasing her and winning her, he realizes it's not all he thinks it would be. And the writer of Proverbs says about that individual, now that his money's gone and his body is spent, at the end of your life, you will lament. When your physical body has been consumed and you will say how I hated discipline and how my heart despised correction. I didn't obey my teachers or listen closely to my instructors. And now I'm on the verge of complete ruin before the entire community. You know, the same has shown to be true in the lives of some desisters that I've blown it. I bought into something and it's just left me with buyer's remorse. The good news is that God forgives. <laughs> the good news is that there are people there to help and, and you can begin again. However, 
God doesn't prevent the consequences. You can't reattach surgically removed breasts. You can't undo a hysterectomy, and you can't rewind the effects of a few months or years of being on testosterone. And Schreier demonstrates, you know, one of the things I love about Abigail Schreier is she demonstrates great empathy and great kindness to those in the transgender community. But her empathy for them doesn't keep her from warning them about the possibilities of buyer's remorse. And that's my thought on my walk with Abigail Schreier and her book, Irreversible Damage. Now, my question is, what will you do with that thought on your walk through life today?